Hello, welcome, and thank you for tuning in this week. I'm your host, Ebehi. In today's episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Stefan Gizel, an architect and director at Inconciones in Caracas, Venezuela. Stefan has worked towards the improvement of the communities that so desperately need a new design solution. He takes us through his design journey from designing solutions to problems that were not specified but discovered, to his role in teaching architecture and design to future generations. Stefan is dedicated to his work and believes in the good architecture can accomplish. Hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Stefan. Thank you so much for joining me and coming on to share your experience. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Happy to be here. So I want to start from the beginning. What got you into design and architecture? Oh, wow. Okay. That is really the beginning. Well, it was more about knowing what I didn't want to do. Uh, Of course, when you are 17 years old, this is a, a very strange moment to take a decision like this. It's abs- it's absolutely irresponsible, uh, but then at the same time, I guess it's the only moment in your life when where people have the enough energy to start into something as incredibly big as, as a new field of study. So when I was in high school, I knew what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to study engineering or medicine or law. Um, and I knew I wanted something that didn't have anything to do with the high school experience, with being in a classroom all day long, taking notes and, and listening to somebody lecture. And uh, I liked drawing and I was good in physics. So uh, somehow that led to, to architecture and uh, it proved right away to be a, a very good fit because I was very lucky the first few semesters that I was in undergrad to have uh, teachers that were very sort of irreverent in many ways. And the the studio experience and the experience of studying architecture and doing design and and doing creative work proved to be something that had nothing to do with anything I had done before. (laughs) So so that, that, that caught me right away. Oh, very nice. What, I guess this leads me to my next question. What is your passion then for design and architecture? I, I like to design. I, I, I love designing um, and I like teaching as well. I think those are my two, my two passions and my two fortes as well. There's usually an intersection between what you like and what you find that you're good at. And uh, I have dedicated the last few years to both uh, work professionally and and also teach and those those two areas have often overlapped very nice so can you tell us about um incursiones i don't know if i'm saying that correctly yes incursiones okay and your involvement with the design firm and some of the work that you guys do of course yes well incursiones started in 2015 about five years ago it was started uh, by a group of three young uh, women architects uh, I know this story. I know this story very well because one of them <laughs> happens to be my wife. Um, oh, perfect. At the time, they they were all working in firms, or they had recently graduated, and they were very disappointed with the professional environment uh, in Venezuela in terms of opportunities for one for one side, and then also uh, in terms of uh, professional work could get you involved with 
uh, problems that you could see going on everywhere around you in the city and affecting the majority of the population. So they started um, first while in parallel to their to their official jobs, they started doing uh, interventions, urban small urban interventions, and they once the office kind of uh, started off, they, they went full time into it. And uh, it started as a, as a platform that wanted to uh, connect with uh, citizens and connect with other actors who had uh, an interest in doing urban work. And uh, in a context of crisis, in a context where people were starting to avoid one another in the city, avoid uh, yes, avoid contact with with the urban environment, uh, which is uh, a result of the of the crisis in Venezuela. And uh, so the the firm started to propose ways in which it could engage people to be outside and to interact with one another and with the city in more productive and more positive ways. Uh, I was working at the time in a in another firm, a firm that I had founded with with a, a group of friends, and we uh, since we had a sort of a a greater knowledge on constructive issues and, and building and, and doing like the spatial or the design part of projects, we collaborated often between the two firms. So the, a lot of the first projects of Incursiones are a result of collaborations between that firm and the firm that I was working at. And uh, I decided to go on, on, on my own, I mean, to, to separate from this other firm and I work with Incursiones because I wanted to dedicate my energies more directly into into this kind of work. So what would you say your firm focus is? Well, we have three main lines of work. Uh, one has to do with public space interventions. Uh, the other has to do with uh, educational programs, educational workshops for young architects and, and also architecture students. And the third has to do with um, spatial interventions, uh, you know, more architectural. Uh, and this is a line of work that has been developed in the last couple of years as a result of collaboration with a, a nonprofit that is called Alimenta la Solidaridad, which okay. translates into feeding solidarity. With They work in Venezuela and they are the second largest, I think, NGO working on, on child uh, mal addressing child malnutrition. And uh, they have set up uh, a number of community kitchens around around the country, and we worked with them in renovating a few of, of their spaces. Oh, wow, that's very nice. It sounds like you do. I, I almost want to say like humanitarian architecture. But... It is. A, it's, it is in a sense humanitarian, and it is. <laughs> it's also sort of emergency uh -huh. uh, architecture in in many ways uh and it's also but but basically what i think is is architecture that op operates in a in a context of a lot of, of scarcity yeah. um and both our urban projects and the the renovations that we have been doing uh work in that context so i think i think that is what what mainly defines it that's very nice. So you talk about, I know you talked about, you know, public space and in the webinar that I attended last week, you yeah. also spoke a lot about activating, um, you know, public spaces. So I wanted to ask, how do you think design from your experience, how can design activate a public space? Well, it can, it can do so in many ways. Uh, I guess the first thing, uh, it has to going out there and acknowledging what the issues are and involving people who who 
would be or should be making use of, of public space and try to determine what the problems are. Uh, sometimes we do this with, you know, through process of, of participation. Uh, that means involving people in trying to, to figure out what, what the, the issues are. Sometimes uh, we work at it from, a, from an, an, another a different angle where we come with, with a, a proposal and then try to, try to, try to find a common ground with, with uh, end users and with citizens. Um, I think, I think the, 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 the main issue is to, is to engage, try to engage people in productive ways and then also try to to find uh, ways in which in which uh, the the what you put out there is a, a product that even if it is uh, an event that will last for a few hours or it, if it is something permanent or some semi-permanent is an opportunity to add value to what is there right to add value to the situation that's very important for our designs to add values to spaces. So how do designed public spaces impact the community? Well, we would aspire that they impact in a positive way. Um, yes. <laughs> that, um, talking from, from our experiences, uh, there, is, there is not one, one single outcome. Uh, it has to do with with also what what we have identified as problems are what what, what the problems are. Um, in in that sense, I would say that the the main our main target is to always try to find ways for people to first spend more time outside and spend and and try to find the ways to for people to interact more, because we we've been working in a in a in a context where people. Uh, and the interaction between between people has been greatly limited by insecure by the, the sense, feeling of insecurity and um, uh, the the lack of opportunities and 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 the, the, the poor infrastructure around public spaces. So we have tried to develop ways people can come together uh, and and increase uh, you know the possibility of interacting with one another, of getting to know other people that maybe live nearby and work nearby but then they are they they may not have a, a setting where they can where they can meet that 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 has also been something that we strive for so from you know your experience and working what would you say your best or most challenging projects have been and why <laughs> well the most challenging projects are the ones that that we have been doing with uh with the, this organization ALS around community kitchens for children, I think they have been very challenging because of the the context that we are working in. Um, it's context where where I mean, there's lack of, of you know lack of a lot of basic infrastructure, uh, lack of you know, maybe running water or a place for kids to wash their hands uh, or, or bad furniture for the kids to eat in or unsafe and unsafe environment for for kids and we have been working uh, with very limited budgets uh, just maybe a few thousand dollars for every renovation that we have done so the these have been projects where we have been forced to answer a lot of questions and to address a lot of problems a lot of issues with very little space to move around so there has been the, sort of the the space of freedom in between which we have worked has been very, very limited. 
And so that has forced us to use our creativity in a very different way. Uh, for example, uh, in one community kitchen in the, the pilot project that, that we did, there was a, an issue with, this was a, a, a community kitchen that operated out of a, a family home. And it was a family home that was in, in a favela in the city, in a, in a very poor neighborhood, and had a lot of basic deficiencies or structural deficiencies. Like, well, the, the roof was sort of about to cave in and the roof was had holes in it. And when it rained, the, the water came through and uh, some of the walls didn't have plaster or paint on them. And uh, at the same time, there were issues around children waiting outside in an environment that was not necessarily safe. So we had to address a lot of a lot of issues that had to do with upgrading basic the you know upgrading the environment and putting putting it up to a, a minimum standard of hygiene and and uh, and operation for a community kitchen that of, of this size. I'm talking about a kitchen that was that was feeding at the moment about 80 to 100 children every day. Wow. So, you know, this was a, a huge number of kids that were eating, taking turns to eat. And uh, so we had to, we dedicated one part of the budget to um, all the all the upgrades of the infrastructure. Uh, but then we wanted to leave a little bit of the budget to answer other other kinds of questions that were not, you know, the urgent, but also the like the more important questions. Like, for example, uh, how do we keep children near the mothers so that the mothers, while the mothers cook, the, the mothers can uh, keep an eye on their kids. But at the same time, you have kids eating and kids waiting. And you don't want to mix those two because then the kids that are waiting will want to, you know, will distract the kids that are eating. Yeah. So so in this case, what we came up with, and, and there was a window that connected the inside of the house to like a, a small courtyard outside where the kids could wait. Uh, and what we came up with was an, a way to keep the children close to the window. Okay. So if so, basically the like the normal bars that protect a window for security, we turn those bars into a vertical playground, a ver vertical play structure, and that sort of made the kids want to be near the window. And where, when they were near the window, the moms could keep an eye on them. So we had a very small amount of the budget that was destined to answer a question that was not, you know, change the roof or, or paint the wall, but try to answer other kinds of questions. And so we we dedicated it to to that. So how can we how can we attract the children's uh, the, the children into this into this space and, and make them want to be there? And then that sort of logic that that sort of try to find a way to answer a question that was not you know uh, that was not a like a strict requirement that, that the client wrote down, opened the door for for something that was later developed into all of the other renovations that we did. So always we try to find ways to create uh, some kind of structure or some kind of device that could engage the children while they waited and so keep them and and entice them you know in a in a yeah. positive way to sort of be near be near where the moms were cooking and be near the 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 sort of uh, playground. Oh wow! Those, so, I I mean that's a very creative um, solution for one, and I noticed that a lot of your projects have those like little creative solutions, you know, that really I guess make you really think outside the box on how you can solve problems through design. Yeah, we that that was sort of uh, a bit of what we were aiming at, you know, try to think outside the box, but also it was a very tight box. 
So, you know, that, that, that was the, the thing that in this situation, being creative could not be about, about you know, being excessive. You know, mm -hmm. about saying, well, you know, we have a, you know, we have a lot of money, so, you know, we can just in, uh, invent or, or, or it was more about, about trying to find a little bit of room to, to flip things around in a way. Wow. So, so that and, and that way of thinking that we started sort of developing around around these projects is became a logic that we've tried to uh, take into other interventions as well, and that we've sort of tried to adapt to our teaching strategies as well. So, so it sort of changed changed a lot of the way we thought about design. That's very nice. Hey guys, what a great conversation, right? So. Hope you all enjoyed last week's Sketch It Out episode. Thank you so much to everyone who tuned in. And if you missed it, head over to YouTube or layersofdesign.online for the replay. We'll be announcing next week's Sketch It Out guest later in the day. So stay tuned for that. If you'd like to be one of the first to know who our guests are, visit our site and sign up for our mailing list. Now, Let's get back to the conversation with Stefan. So speaking on, you know, design, what is, can you share with us like your design process from start to finish? So either when you get an idea or if you've been given a proposal from a client? Well, yeah, that's a great question because those, those some of the projects that we work on are initiated by, by a third party someone who contacts us and, and says, hey, we need help with this. Or, uh, and uh, other projects have been self-initiated, okay. which, which is a lot harder for architects to do. And it's not the typical way that architecture operates because architecture always sort of works by demand. You know, okay. it's that's yeah. sort of built into the, the, the profession. But I think that is starting to change. And for incursiones, that has, that has been a driving force. Even before, even before having clients, I think the the office uh, grew or started out of a, a, a desire to to do things in the city and for the city. So those, I would say that those two those two uh, processes don't. I mean, it's those two processes don't necessarily start the same way, uh, in the sense that uh, when a client comes to you. Uh, with uh, a specific request, uh, you know, the, the project usually follows the more standard way of proceeding with a project, like you want to, to meet and you want to find what the issues are and you want to, to understand and there's, uh, you know, there's more of a, a, you know, the standard design process where you develop something, you receive feedback and you develop, you develop it more and, and then you go other ways. Uh, whereas projects that have been self-initiated have a somewhat of a different logic where we, we've, we, we, there's something that we want to address and we, we, we try to find not so much a client, but someone who, who will be an ally, uh, in, in the, in the process. And these are usually cultural organizations, cultural institutions. Um, NGOs, uh, people who are also involved in city making. And so we will try to create a common ground around the issue that we want to talk about and then try to find someone who, well, you always need someone to put down the money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> inevitably. And so we will try to find someone who will be interested in sponsoring this 
this construction project and the and the, the design process in a way that you know that allows the office to somewhat pay for itself and to, to pay its employees and etc. Yeah. And and produce a built outcome. And how is that process of finding like a sponsor, for example? I ask this because that is one thing that I'm looking to start doing to mm -hmm. start, um, you know, exploring my ideas, but I would need <laughs> sponsors to back it up. Yes. Mm, well, a lot of the projects have resulted from, um, we have worked a lot with uh, cultural institutions like the Goethe Institute, or the British Council, the US, the US Embassy, uh, and the European, um, the EU uh, delegation in, in, in Venezuela, and it's always institutions that have a cultural budget assigned for that they have to use yearly or they have to use annually, uh, and so so and also at the, at the same time we started building uh, a good working relationship with these institutions. So once you start. Uh, once you start, you know, having a good relationship with them, it's it, it's it's sort of one small project may lead to a larger project, and that to another project, and and, and you sort of start building a, a positive relationship. That is that is one way, and the other way has been through grants. The a lot of the projects that that, that we have done or that the office has has developed have been the result of, of uh, grants and. Um, that is a work into itself. I mean, uh, grant writing and grant applications. <laughs> there's there's actually a book that we have here. I can uh -huh. show it to you. <laughs> oh <we> wow! <laughs> so just just it's called the only grant writing book you will ever need, and it's about 600 pages long. That we have been we have been reading. Uh, grant applications are uh, can be a full time job. And there's always a grant that you can apply to, and and back back in Venezuela the opportunities are somewhat limited, but we have found that here in the U.S. there's an incredible amount of grants for any kinds of initiatives, which is something that is absolutely fantastic, and uh, it's also opportunities to develop projects in ways that it's not a typical. Um, uh, Architect-client relationship, mm -hmm. and. Which is something that we have found that is it's more leads to more 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 productive or, or more open uh, sort of results, okay. especially when working in public space. Yeah, that, that's very cool. So I know you you started in Venezuela. The company started in Venezuela, and so how yes. does it operate? And how is I guess most of your projects are in Venezuela. Yes, most of our projects uh, are there. Uh, we have been invited to do a couple of projects abroad and around Latin America, but but mainly our, our projects are there. Um, my wife and I relocated to Portland last year because she's uh, pursuing her master's here in the in the U.S., and so we moved here. Um, and the office has been. I have been running the office uh, remotely from here. We have a another partner who is back at home and a few employees who are back at home, uh, and. Uh, these proved to be, I mean, running the office remotely proved to be a lot e easier than, than I thought it would be. And also when, when this, when, when the COVID crisis started a few months ago, we found that we were already very prepared. We had a, a very productive dynamic or work dynamic set up. And uh, so we found that um, 
that that you know this was kind of you know a seamless transition to to work from home whereas i think that for a lot of people it was very traumatic yes (laughs) yeah i was i was just gonna say that that's true i was going to mention that a lot of companies and a lot of firms had the issues yeah well there is a lot of things that are irreplaceable yeah (laughs) and especially with architecture uh i mean it would be impossible to do a, a job site or a job site visit remotely. Yeah. Uh, luckily, we we have we, we part of our staff there is is qualified for that, and I've had to do it. Like you know, well, they go into the the site and they take pictures and they send me the pictures over WhatsApp, and then I have to <laughs> make sure it's the right yeah. pictures, or if you want something yeah. else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, I mean, there's there's some things that are you know we're not there yet. I think there's architecture can can architecture firms will have, will have to adapt and, and work yeah. this way inevitably. So well, first of all, thank you so much for sharing you know your experience so far. I want to ask, apart from design and architecture, what else do you do in your free time? Well, <laughs> lately, not much. <laughs> uh, we have a, a, a one-year-old daughter. Oh, she, she's a little older, a little older uh, than, than than a year old. Um, and uh, she takes up most of our time and energy, uh, so <laughs> it actually revolves around her rather than around around work. <laughs> so basically, uh, she takes up the greatest chunk of time, and so out of that we have to carve out little moments and little <laughs> times to to work. We have been doing that in the last few months. We've been incredibly blessed. In the last few months, uh, as as the lockdown has affected our, our everyday lives, to be in a city where there's an incredible amount of public parks and and safe public spaces and and nature, where we have been able to go, and we have been able to even even if everything is closed, you can still go out and spend an afternoon outside and and feel safe and and have things to do and go to one park today, a different park tomorrow, or a garden here, and and a river the next day. And I think that has been something that we had we had never experienced, certainly not back at home. Uh, and we have found that this is an, an incredibly privileged situation that, mm-hmm. that I feel that a lot of people may take for granted. Yeah. Uh, but but coming from the context where we were coming, uh, we we realized what a what a privilege it is to have a you know a, a city where you have so many things to do, uh, while everything is closed. Yeah, that's that's beautiful, honestly. And I feel you know it's just it's important for us to keep reminding ourselves of the privilege that we have to you know just walk around in safe public spaces. Um. So we're wrapping up. But okay. do you have any questions for me? Yeah, I, I'm. How did you start with with this initiative? I mean, because you're you're uh, you graduated. I mean, I, I listened to a few of your podcasts, and and oh, thank you. You, you yeah, sure. You uh, you started uh, working professionally uh, a few years ago, and in parallel, you were you were doing this. No. So what happened is I graduated in 2016. And um, I started working professionally, but I hit like a, I think I worked professionally for about a year and a half. Then I kind of got really discouraged with the profession. And I started this podcast as a way to sort of find my voice 
as a designer. And also during that whole time of me searching for what exactly I wanted to do with architecture, I, you know, looking up stories of architects and experiences of architects, I noticed like not a lot of design professionals really shared like exactly what inspires them to go into architecture. So I, I wanted to start a platform where I could have that conversation with designers and architects where we could talk about, you know, how um, they got started in architecture and their projects. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm, I'm transitioned, I've transitioned it into a creative studio where I'm using it to one, keep talking to architects like yourself and two, to explore my passions for like humanitarian architecture. And I'm still That's working. Great. I'm still working um, professionally. <laughs> So, I mean, would it put you in trouble if I ask you uh, why were you disappointed with the professional environment? No, it wouldn't. wouldn't. (laughs) I mean, I honestly, I was at a job where it wasn't the right fit for me. So Mm -hmm. I wasn't being challenged. Me, myself, personally, I wasn't being Mm -hmm. challenged. And I, I don't, I just. I just couldn't find a lot of inspiration, I guess. I was working a lot. Yeah, I can relate to that. I worked I worked as an architect for other architects for, mm-hmm. for a very long time before I started on my own. And uh, certainly fitting in a, in a good environment is, is an important part of your basic happiness in life. <laughs> because, yeah. because, because it takes up, and especially for architecture, it takes up so much of your energy and your time and and you have to be I used to I had a teacher who who used to say that uh, and I find this to be absolutely true that you have to if you want to do a good project you have to be happy yes uh, you can you can design while upset you, you nobody can design you know in a in a negative state of mind and and, and uh, that that is something that that I found that to be absolutely true and and uh it, and I think the profession uh, in, in the U.S. and is incredibly structured in a way that is not necessarily always uh, positive. I think I think this is starting to change little by little, mm-hmm. but but the mainstream or the main uh, the main output for for uh, for young professionals are very structured firms, where you know where where if you if you fit in and this is the type of professional development and career that you want to pursue it can be a very good environment but also uh, if that if you have other interests or, or other ways of want to explore your creativity it may be very frustrating but at the same time I think architecture is is, is the kind of field that uh, prepares you or gives you a very you know a very broad spectrum of, of opportunities and of interest that you can develop while you study and then uh maybe into your into your into your professional career so so that's the other the other side of the coin definitely i agree because um like you said it's there's this very structured um career path Mm -hmm. and i think that's what almost frustrated me because i i just felt like i couldn't really design without Mm -hmm. following a particular structure because, you know, I spent my time studying, I spent my time going to work, which was great, of course, and I'm very grateful for all of the opportunities I've had. But as in terms of creativity, 
I felt myself being burned out. Like after work or on the weekends, I just wanted to relax as opposed to really push in that my creative side. <laughs> so I, I, I started the platform to sort of force me out mm -hmm. of that structure. Yeah. Exploring other things. Yeah. But, um, okay, so before we go, can you give us three things that have inspired you in your career so far? Three things? Yes. <laughs> mm, okay. okay. You, maybe not all three, but... <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I would say, I would say working in, in a complex context became very inspiring. Uh, it, it created opportunities that I would, it would, I would not have seen as possible. Um, in, in a complex context where scarcity uh, is, is the norm, um, this created a way of framing problems, a way of thinking that, that I found to be more creative than, than other things, uh, or more creative than, than, than impeding in a way. Well, I think, I think having, having an office uh, once, well, th this happened with, with the first firm that I started when I went back home, but then also with Incursiones, uh, ha having your own firm was, and, and uh, it's, if it's something you're starting to, to work on, you, I'm sure you, you may be able to, to relate to this. It's, it's, it's its own form of, of energy and it's its own form of stress as well. <laughs> and yeah, and, and it's like, it's something that, that, it depends on you and uh, you depend on it in, in a way that, that compares to very few other situations. Uh, so, so having an office and, and a physical space where we could go into every morning and uh, uh, there were people there that look, looked up to you or, or depended on you, I also found it very inspiring in a way that it, it, pushed, it pushed you and it pushed us consi consistently to high. And then I, I also find uh, teaching to be very inspiring. I think I, I was very lucky to, I lived here in the US a few years ago and, and then in Europe, and then I moved back to Venezuela in 2011 and I immediately uh, went into teaching. Actually, the reason I went back is because a, a teaching opportunity opened up at my, at my the university where I had studied. Um, I was lucky enough to, to work with the group of teachers who had been my teachers and now they, they were my peers and my, my colleagues and working with, with young people and with uh, students was also incredibly inspiring and uh, it taught me more than I thought it would have. You know, I, I found out that, you know, the main reason you, you, you end up wanting to teach because you learn that, that way as well. So, so, so working, working and, and, and teaching became also a source of inspiration for us. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Stefan, for joining me and for your openness to just talk about your experiences with me. It's been great. Thank you very much for the invitation. It was great. <laughs>